So we are today in Luke chapter 15. It may be, um, let's see, it's on page uh, 1039 if you're using the black Bibles that are provided. It may be one of the better known portions of scripture, even if it, even if not by address, when I say Luke 15, maybe you're not thinking about it, but as you turn there and see the three, uh, supposedly three stories before you, you are, you're, you're probably at least if you are a follower of Christ, very familiar with these stories. I have in my office a wood carving of an African shepherd just cradling a sheep in his arms. You've probably seen other artwork of of a kind-hearted, just compassionate compassion in his eyes. That shepherd with the with the sheep or the lamb draped over his shoulders. You've probably seen pictures of that. Uh, I guarantee that if you have been to church for more than ten years, you've heard a few sermons on the prodigal son. Uh, several of them right here. Uh, if you are too young to know this or didn't grow up as an 80s Christian, I would encourage you to go home today and listen to the 1983 25-minute long song, The Prodigal Son Suite by Keith Green. If you can listen to that without crying at the end, you're too Presbyterian. Or go home and pull up Rembrandt's uh, very famous, uh, it's a, an artist in the 1600s, uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son. And just like, just study that picture over and over and just all the things in it and, and even read up on, on it and his, uh, this painting. It's, it's by, by non-Christian art critics, Many would say it's the best work Rembrandt had done was this painting. Many books have written on this third section of the parable, the prodigal son. And I'll get into why I call it that, the third section of one parable. In fact, in At Hope of Christ, we, we went through Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God, that unpacks this story. But I say this is a third section of one parable because that's how Luke introduces Jesus' talk. He says, so he told them this singular parable, singular. And then he tells three stories. And while there's so much richness in that third story, I don't want us to miss the beauty of the forest for the beauty of that one tree. And so uh, we're going to do this in two weeks, separated uh, by my trip to Cleveland. But today we're going to look at the whole thing. 
all three parables together. Why? How are they related? What is the, what's the whole purpose of, of Luke 15? And then on the 30th, when, I, when we're back, we'll just do a deep dive into the prodigal son. So I don't want you to feel today like you're being gypped when we don't touch, go very deeply into the prodigal son. Although it should probably better be called uh, the tale of two lost sons. Uh, or, or even the awkward, embarrassing, ridiculous compassion of a father. But that's next time. And I still have two weeks to decide on what title to give it. This morning, I want us to hear and read and consider the joy of heaven. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the, young, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So while each of these parables has for centuries encouraged God's people, it's important that before you find any individual encouragement from any of them, you find encouragement from the whole of the point of what Jesus is saying in the context of what is happening. And you can't find that context without verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 explain the whole context of every one of these parables. And then, as a result, you need that last paragraph. Because if verses 1 and 2 explain the context, the last paragraph explains the punchline or the reason for the parables or how what the takeaway should be. So what is it that Jesus says, or that we're told that so, or therefore, Jesus told them this parable? What's the so? What's the so what? Why did Jesus say this? And we're told, first, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Luke again does this incredible thing with just one word to clue the reader in, especially a reader familiar with the Old Testament, that the Pharisees and scribes are on the wrong side of history, as they might say today, because they grumbled. The word in Greek, that in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, is the very word that is used over and over and over in Numbers and in Leviticus about the people of Israel 
who grumbled against Moses and grumbled against God and grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. And here, just this little quick clue, the Pharisees and the lawyers were grumbling about Jesus. And what's their grumble? What's their complaint? It's like it's an insult, or at least they think it's an insult. This man receives sinners and eats with them. But that insult, that that poke, that jab of the lawyers is your only hope. Like they think they are insulting Jesus and they are summarizing the gospel message. What they think is an awful truth is the only hope you have. God receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. God receives you and eats with you, though you are a sinner. But this ticks off the Pharisees. Why? Why are they so upset by this? Well, Mainly because they were certain they weren't sinners. They were certain that they were law-abiding citizens. They were keeping the law. They were doing everything that they were supposed to. That they earned God's love. And if they've earned God's love, he shouldn't be giving it to people who haven't earned his love. And so Jesus tells them this parable. What man of you? What woman? There was a man who had two sons. Jesus draws us in with these three so relatable stories that were completely disarmed. That like he, he removes the power of our self-righteousness. And at the same time, he tells us just extraordinary things about God's heart towards sinners. And so before the next two points, let's just sort of quickly go through the three tales. The three tales of the lost and the found. If you're a colorer or highlighter or crayon user in your Bibles, I know there's a lot of Marines here, so most of the crayons have been eaten. But if you like to color code things... Lost in these three parables shows up seven times. Found shows up eight times. And rejoicing or joy or celebrating shows up nine times. It's just kind of cool. Repentance is mentioned three times and then illustrated two times. And then the result of it shows up twice. He was dead. And he's alive. These are just cool things in the whole thing. A shepherd, a shepherd with a hundred sheep finds that one is missing. One has wandered off. Sheep do that. They're dumb. It's not unexpected. 
It's interesting that Jesus asks it as a question. Will he not leave the 99 in an open country and go and find the one? Go and search for the one? The question is stated to make you, it's, it's as if he wants you to say, well, of course he will. But the reality is, most of us are doing economics in our head and we're like, I don't know. Will he? Would he? I mean, it's a one to a hundred ratio. I mean, isn't, at some point you gotta count the costs, you gotta cut your losses, you just gotta, it's just one sheep, dude. But he asks in a way to like cause you to say even against your better judgment, oh no, of course he would. Because then you would have to be, think, would I? Why did he assume that shepherd would? He also, what a beautiful illustration of Jesus' wisdom. As he talks about a shepherd that of course he would go after the lost sheep. And he kind of harkens back to Ezekiel 34. Which I know you're like, e what? Where? Anyway, this a really long prophet book in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 34, God comes down against the priests and the leaders of the people and calls them shepherds, wicked, evil, selfish shepherds who do not care for the broken, who will not heal the the needy, who who don't go in search of the lost. And he says, I will take this flock from you and I will shepherd them myself. I will be their good shepherd. And even in just this first story, the, the Pharisees and lawyers are supposed to hear, oh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go after one lost sheep. But it's not just that he goes after one lost sheep. When he finds it, he doesn't leave it to chance. He doesn't say, hey, follow me. I'm a shepherd. I'll lead the way. He picks up the sheep and he carries it back on his shoulders. And he's rejoicing the whole way under this burden. And when he gets home, he calls his neighbors and his friends. And he says, rejoice with me. My sheep that was lost has been found. And Jesus says, just so, I tell you. It's almost as if Jesus is giving us an eyewitness account of something he's been a part of before. Just so, I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one repentant sinner than over 99 who don't need any repentance. How do you know? Oh, I've been there. I've had that joy. Then he moves on. A woman with 10 coins. Let's change the ratio. In case you would have left the, the 99 or would have left the one for the 99. A woman with 10 coins, she has misplaced one. A sheep wandering is totally on the, sh- you know, it's, it's sheep. It's what they do. It's just their nature. A lost coin is on the woman. It's her fault. She lost it. She had 10, now she has nine. Will she not, again, a question, demanding you to just think, well, of course she will, but will she not 
get a little frantic. Light a candle. Sweep the house. Search diligently until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors. And again, rejoice with me. I have found my coin that I had lost. And there it is again. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I remember a pastor friend of mine shared that toward the end of his time at his at one of his churches, as he preached on this, he did make the mistake of saying, I wish that just once there would be a reason in heaven to rejoice over someone here in this church. <laughs> so then he moved on pretty quickly after that. <laughs> but that is sort of Jesus' point. Uh, the church is often full of 99 who are just fine, thank you. But there's more joy in heaven over one, just one, who would repent. There was a man with two sons. And at first, the story sounds like it's a one-to-one ratio. We've gone from one to a hundred to one to ten to one to one, and then we learn at the end, no, it's a hundred percent. They're both lost. Their father is searching diligently for both of them. And one will repent and be found. And one will not. Now again, we'll look at this in more detail in two weeks. But for now, just some points. Some points from this particular parable. Actually, this one comes from all three. You and I are not lost Because we are ignorant. We are not lost because of God's negligence. Like the sheep or the coin. You and I are lost because of our willful sinfulness. Because we would rather live our lives as though our Father in heaven were dead. We would rather take his blessings without the relationship. We would rather receive everything from him and then tell him to mind his own business. Father, divide the property and give me what's coming to me. Give me my inheritance. Dad, I wish you were dead so I could just have all the stuff without the trappings of a relationship with you. This is how you and I approach our lives regularly. Second, from this parable, see and understand that natural and painful consequences for our sin is always a gift from God to wake us up. Natural and painful consequences for our sin is always a gift from God to wake us up. I've had this conversation with many of my kids. Do you see how much God loves you that he would not let you get away with this? 
that he would let your mother and me know what is going on. Do you not see how much God loves you that he would bring the pain of your sin right before your eyes so that you could learn to despise your sin even if it has to start by despising your consequences. Look at how much God loves you. Money gone, famine comes, no job available but to feed pigs and wish he could eat what they were feeding the pigs. Third, third. Repentance realizes I cannot fix this. I can't undo this. I don't deserve anything even for my remorse. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is a We'll dig deeper, but this is not doulos that we talk about all the time. Bond servant, this servant who has family-like reception in the household. This is literally hired hand. Just treat me like a hired day worker. Just give me enough money to get to buy some food and have a roof over my head. Not even at your house. Just let me, just let me exist near you. I don't, I don't deserve anything more than that. For God, God's forgiveness leaves nothing for you to do. There is nothing for you to do. I love, again, this will come back in two weeks, I love that the Father interrupts the confession. Like, he gets to, I'm no longer worthy, here's my plan. All he gets out is, I'm no longer worthy. And he's like, quick! Bring a robe. No, that's not quite right. Bring the best robe. Put my ring on his hand. He is fully restored. He has all the power and he's covered by the wealth and glory and beauty of his father in his robe. And he has the ring that says, I'm his son. You got to listen to me now. He says, put shoes on his feet. Take care of him. This is my son. Kill the fattened calf. We have to celebrate. He was dead and he is alive. He was, he was lost and he's found. There's nothing for you to do when God forgives you. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. And then fifth and finally, the punchline, the purpose of the parables, this other lost son, we almost forgot about him. All we knew was there were two sons at the beginning and suddenly... The other son comes in from a long day of work in the field. And he hears music and dancing. Clearly not Presbyterians. That's not true, though. 
Like at our, at the reception for Myra's wedding, there was ridiculous, obnoxious dancing. Because there are times that you need to celebrate obnoxiously. And here's his father celebrating obnoxiously. Why? Because his sinful, stubborn, selfish son has returned and it's worth celebrating. But his other son is furious and he won't even go in. And so for the second time, the father does the unthinkable. First, he's running across the field to his first son, which you just don't do in those days. You look like a fool when you run. And I'm getting to an age now that, like, I know what that means. I look like a fool when I try to run. I'm just like, what happened to my youth? But that's a whole nother story. We just go back to Ecclesiastes for that. But here, he doesn't just, now he goes out to his son who's completely disrespecting him. And it says, he begs him. He implores, he entreats him. Come in. Come in. Don't stay out here. Don't stay lost. Come back. And his son refuses. And he says, look. All these years I have slaved for you. Here he uses the dulo in the verb form, but he's essentially saying, my relationship with you, dad, has been slavery. He doesn't understand the relationship that he's had with his father. He says, I've never disobeyed you. So not only does he not understand his relationship with his father, he doesn't quite understand his own heart. Never disobeyed you? Is there a son in this room that can raise their hand and say, I've never disobeyed my dad? Never, never, not any of you. Some of you I know, I know some of you better than others, and you put your hands down. And then this, here's the kicker. You've never given me a goat to celebrate with my friends. You see the younger son saying, I don't want you in my life. I want the goods without the relationship. And then you realize that's exactly what the older son wanted. He just took a different path to it. If I do everything you say, you'll be out of my hair and you can't bother me anymore. Any celebration I do certainly isn't going to be with my relationship with you. It's just going to be a celebration with my friends. He doesn't want his father around. He says, this son of yours won't even acknowledge his relationship with him. This son of yours. And if Jesus, in telling the story, thinks, well, let's make it, you know, let's not go into detail. He just squandered his wealth in, let's call it reckless living. The brother is not so courteous. This son of yours, who spent all your money on prostitutes, dad, And the father says, son, literally, child, my child, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But he doesn't turn into mismanners. He doesn't say, it was fitting, which is such a sad, if you do color your Bibles, go ahead and write in there, we had to. It was necessary. How could we not? We had to celebrate. Because this, your brother, 
Your brother was dead. And he is alive. He was lost. And he's found. Which brings us with five minutes to the last two points of the sermon. I was going to call the passage, the, the sermon, The Joy of the Lord. It comes from Nehemiah 8. Uh, there's just this, this statement, The Joy of the Lord is your strength. When I was in vacation Bible school as a kid, we had a little song that we sang about it. And you'll hear it now and realize, oh, that's why we don't sing the songs from your childhood in the 80s. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Anyone remember that? Yeah, and then you do, ha, 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 Yeah, that's the third verse. Yeah, we'll do it as a hymn next week. Uh, but I don't know about any of you. But if the, if my strength, if my strength comes from my joy in God, I've been really weak for eight months. If my strength is dependent on my joy in God, that's, that's a hard thing for me to muster up sometimes. But what if the joy of the Lord is your strength is talking about the Lord's joy is your strength. That could also sound frightening if Luke 15 isn't part of the canon of Scripture. See, my joy, the joy of the lost, so you, you know, you've got the jab of the lawyer, so we could ha- add verses to that song. The jab of the lawyer is your hope. The joy of the lost is the seeker. The joy that we have as, as the lost is that there is one who will not quit until he's found us. Who would leave the 99 a fool's errand just to find one. Who would sweep the house and when, when found, doesn't open up a lecture. Doesn't talk about how you should have never been lost in the first place. Rejoices. Is filled with joy. The joy of the lost is the seeker because the joy, the joy of the Lord is you. You are the joy of the Lord. You know, some say that the the father doesn't actually do any of the seeking. Like the shepherd does or the woman did. But that misses the whole point of the parables that Jesus is trying to tell. The whole point was, you're, you're a sinner who God is seeking. Wake up. Look at the pigsty that you are living in. Wake up. Jesus is seeking you. And what, what repentant sinner isn't fully aware that the only reason repentance came is because the Holy Spirit was seeking me. Because someone was looking for me long before I was looking for him. There's this beautiful old hymn. It says, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I who found O oh, Savior, true. 
but I was found by thee. Thou lovest me. Thou lovest me. Always thou lovest me. According to Jesus and these three stories and this this one amazing parable, the joy of the Lord is you. Rejoice, celebrate. Over what? Over a lost sheep that's found. Over a lost coin that's found. Over a lost son that's found. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let us eat and celebrate. We had to celebrate. I heard a clip of Tim Keller recently talking about Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And Tim Keller asks the question, what is the joy that was set before Jesus that would send him to the cross? He says it would have to be something he didn't already have. And so it couldn't just be that going to the cross would give him a right relationship with the Father because he has an eternally right relationship with the Father. It can't be that going to the cross would put him at the right hand of the Father because he was at the right hand of the Father before he even went to the cross. And Tim Keller points out the only thing Jesus didn't have before the cross that he had after the cross was you. And for the joy of having you, Jesus endured the cross. And that's pretty incredible. That's some, that's some love worth celebrating. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful and grateful. Father, we are thankful and grateful. You love this broken, fallen world so much that you sent your one and only Son to die so that all who believe in you would have everlasting life. Jesus, you died for us while we were still your enemies, while we were still dead. This is the love that we have from God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. That you sought us when we were lost. That you opened our eyes to see our filth. You opened our ears 
to be able to discern the lies that we've been telling ourselves and the lies of the world. You opened, you opened our mouths to taste the reality of the filth that we've been feeding ourselves and to realize that we are hungering for something so much more. You opened our hearts to despise our sin. God, I pray that we would join you in heaven in rejoicing over repentant sinners. I pray that we would be a congregation full of repentant sinners, lost sons who have run from you, lost sons who have hidden from you by all of our obedience, that we would all come rejoicing to you and repenting to you and rejoicing with each other because of the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.